Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Twice every weekday on Vision and on demand in the free Vision Christian Media app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. From time to time, there are difficult things to talk about. And as you know, as you're a proud Australian as I am, when you think of our troops who've been serving in places like Afghanistan and in northern Iraq, many of them coming back home suffering post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's an interesting issue to get into in more depth. I wonder what difference, though, you might think it makes to have an encounter with God and to be a Christian and to face the challenge of PTSD and what strength it might bring if you have faith in God. Well, Corporal Andrew Summers is joining us, telling us his story today. Andrew, welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Andrew, take us back to the beginning. You were, first of all, you joined the Australian Army and then you transferred to the RAAF and deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. This takes us back to midway through the last decade. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I deployed um, as an avionics technician um, on what we call the AP3C Orion. So my duties over there were to, to primarily fix that. But I also played the bagpipes and was uninundated um, with uh, what we call ramp ceremonies, which is piping off our fallen soldiers. But for me, it was uh, Canadian soldiers. I was uninundated with um, volunteering my services to pipe them off. It's an amazing thing because sometimes we think of Australian soldiers and the deaths of Australian soldiers obviously very, very hard for us to bear. But if you're on one of those bases in the Middle East and you're serving alongside other nations and their military, it's it's like everybody on the base participates in those sorts of ceremonies, don't they? Yeah, we do. You had, um, unfortunately, the Canadians got hit really hard, so I was doing a lot of ramp ceremonies. I was averaging two to three a week over the entire month of um, July, August, September and October. Um, many of those ramps had, you know, six bodies in total coming out. Um, and the first one I ever played for was actually a mate uh, who I became very close to, a, a Canadian soldier I became good friends with, and uh, three weeks later was killed in action. Uh, he was the first one I ever piped off, and it, it hit me pretty hard. And then the multiples um, really struck with me. And uh, it's not until you return home that it, it really hits you what you've just done and, and how you've helped out. But it's more so you feel the grief and the loss of every one of those that I piped. Um, and uh, it, that would eventually just haunt me for the rest of the rest of my time. Serving in the military and losing mates and uh, those soldiers that are fighting alongside you or those who are serving in the militaries of other nations, uh, is this what triggers uh, PTSD uh, or are there other factors that are in- involved in that that, that you can, uh, that you can uh, identify? Um, for me, it was, it was primarily that, but it was a lot of things. As I you know, explain um, in many talks I've done about the bucket theory, you know, we all have we all have a bucket of different sizes of what we can deal with and what we can cope. And eventually, if you don't talk about your issues, that bucket then gets full and results into self-harm or suicide, which resulted with me. So for me, it was 
losing my mate, multiple ramps, but then returning home to to Australia and hearing public opinion about the war, being told by people that outside of defence that knew me, telling me that we shouldn't be there, it's a waste of taxpayers' money, um, and really enforcing their opinions on the war, it really affected you. It made you feel guilty and ashamed for doing your duty and sort of that, that added on as well into my bucket, as well as dealing with nightmares of what I'd seen, the bodies, and, um, and you know, feeling the loss. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it just builds up and builds up and builds up, and your bucket just gets fuller and fuller and fuller. And you, deep down, you're trying to deal with it, but also as a man, you're thinking, you know, I'm a soldier, harden up. You know, this is a sign of weakness. And then that adds on to it as well. So, you, you know, you just... It just all piles up eventually. I guess sometimes we think of those who are serving on the front lines, perhaps in the army, in the SAS, in the infantry, that they're the ones who are bearing the biggest stresses. But you're saying that really every military person serving in the Australian Defence Force, when they're serving on a base that's in the Middle East, they're exposed to a lot of things that are putting a lot of pressures on them. Yeah, you all experience things very differently. We all see things in a different perspective, and that's, I think that's what affects us. It may not affect everybody, and they may come out unscathed and fine, but I think it, it just all depends on the individual and what they can cope with, how, how big their bucket is and what they can handle. And, um, and you know, we're all different. So I, I guess, you know, I don't compare myself... Um, to an infantry soldier because they see things a lot differently to how I would and ex- their experiences are way different to mine. So, um, you know, it's a lot harder for them as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, like I said, I can't really compare. It's just it's just different. Um, but, yeah, it does affect everybody. I've met quite a few people, my work colleagues, that were um, at those experience those ramps and it affected them in some way as well. So you were affected by nightmares, you were feeling grief for your lost mate and those other uh, serving personnel. Uh, you began to use alcohol, uh, you needed to sleep uh, and you weren't able to. Uh, tell us about how it feels when things start to go downhill. It's, yeah, it's, it's a real rapid um, descent. You know, I, I abused my body with alcohol, drinking five bottles of wine a week and then finishing off with whiskey. All that was to try and help me sleep and stop the nightmares, but it didn't um, didn't do that at all. You uh, you slowly uh, over time you isolate yourself, avoid everybody, um, avoid going to shops, and then your mindset starts to change. You don't feel safe. You have experience anxiety attacks, which is um, probably the worst feeling I've ever encountered. That you just you your anxieties go so high you can't function you don't know how to do something simple like start a car or get into the car or remove a trolley from the rest of the trolleys of the shopping center because you're so panicked and looking around and scoping out the shopping center to um, reassure yourself that you're safe but at the same time you're ascertaining threat level while you while you're there and you're home you're home in your home country where you should feel safe and um and you don't it's just that's the, the, the downside of the PTSD and the anxieties that come with it is your mind um, goes on a whole other level and you, know, you, you, you try your best to, um, to deal with it and unfortunately, us as men, it's, 
you know, it's not limited to the front line. It's, you know, it's out there amongst men with PTSD. You don't have to experience war to get PTSD. But unfortunately with men, we don't talk about our feelings because we feel it's a sign of weakness. There's something that women do very well is they do talk about their feelings with each other. And it's a leaf out of their book that we really do need to take and to say that, you know, it's not a sign of weakness. It's okay to, you know, say to your mate, I'm not well and, and have a cry and, and that, that's not a sign of weakness, that that's courage to face your fears. Let's talk about your wife and family because you came back home to Australia and then you began to experience these symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. How did your wife handle all of that? Um, she was amazing. She's been a Christian all her life. So through this, I was not a Christian, um, and she was, and she would always be praying for me, and she would hear me during the night having nightmares, and I'd feel her hand on my head, and all of a sudden I would feel this sense of peace over me, not knowing really what was going on. But she was very supportive, but, you know, it was hard for her as well, to be honest, and um, the way I treated... I never verbally or I never physically abused her. I just isolated myself from everything, and... Um, so in her eyes, it would look like I was being a jerk where I wasn't going to family do's or being involved with my kids. And, um, you know, to, to put up with that and, and to um, support me through all that, um, she's my rock. She's, she's why I'm here today um, as well. So, and through her constant sharing her relationship with Jesus with me is really what pulled me through because I was a non-believer and then eventually it got to a point in my life where my world was so dark that I thought my life, I could not be the role model to my children that they needed me to be. I couldn't be the father they needed. And my wife, I couldn't be the husband that she she needed. And I thought in my head, if I remove myself from the equation, that would give them a better opportunity in life and they would get an opportunity to find a far better role model. So... Uh, 6th of October 2012, I attempted suicide. Um, and fortunately, that's when uh, God entered my life. I uh, That night on the 6th of October, my wife was out and my children were in bed and I, um, I had planned, I was getting all ready with alcohol and all the tablets I could find in our medicine cabinet and thought if I put the two together, I'd fall asleep and never wake up. And at that moment... I was, as I was looking at my photo, my wedding photo and my kids, basically saying goodbye, I, um, I heard this little voice in my head and I didn't know, I'd never heard that voice before. And it was telling me about what my wife had shared with me about Jesus. So that distracted me to then, um, I got on my knees that night and basically cried out to God and said, if you're real, if you're legit, if you exist like my wife says you are, get me out of this situation. And if you do, I will follow you for the rest of my life. If you don't, then I know you don't exist. And I'll give you 24 hours to, to respond. So I gave God a timing. Um, the next morning, my wife, she had no idea about any of this. I didn't tell her about my suicide attempt for 12 months. But the following morning, she went to church. I was at home. And when she was at church, uh, a man by the name of Captain Alexander Thornton um, attended, and he's not doesn't attend um, her church. He was passing through, and she introduced herself to him and asked him who he was and where he's from. And he, he says, "I'm from Singleton Army Barracks. I'm on my way to Toowoomba, and I'm a psychologist in the Australian Army." 
So at that stage, she knew I wasn't functioning and explained things to him and he got my details and then she came home and told me all about it. And it was at that point in my life I went, wow, um, dang, <laughs> my prayer just got answered, so you do exist. So. Your, your answered prayer, and it's an amazing story of the way God does turn up at the right place at the right time with just the right word, and you just know it is the voice of God speaking to you. Corporal Andrew Summers is our guest. We're hearing his story. We're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. We're talking about Andrew's journey and uh, to a point where he was ready to commit suicide. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while because, Andrew, I want to uh, I want to hear from you how you actually then move to a place where you can recognise a healing for post-traumatic stress disorder. We'll continue our conversation very shortly. We're taking some time to hear the story of overcoming one of those big challenges that's facing so many military personnel as they're coming back from places like Afghanistan and northern Iraq, talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. Corporal Andrew Summers is our guest. We're hearing his story, a story that led to a place where he was spiralling down, nightmares and grief, needing to use alcohol just to get to sleep, a depression that had sunk in to a point where he was ready to commit suicide, and it was at a time like that he cried out to God. And God answered his prayer within the 24-hour time limit that Andrew had set. Andrew, as we hear this sort of thing, and for a lot of our listeners, it's not unusual to hear of the way that God intervenes in a life. But I guess it surprises you that uh, that somehow or other what you hadn't thought would ever happen before has brought you to a place where uh, you can give God your whole heart. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, when he showed up, that really did, um, it blew my life apart. It truly blew me away. I was like, my goodness, I've never encountered this before. I've never... You know, I was a non-believer, and for this to happen, you, you just go, wow, and... and for me, integrity is, is everything. I, you know, I, I made a promise to him, and I, and I keep it. And um, I, I don't just look to him as my father on an intimate level, but I look to him as my king. He's my commander-in-chief, my general. And I do what, I, what he tells me to do. And, um, and over the next couple of years after that night, I, um, I started to hear that voice louder and louder and would just do what he asked me to do. And, and and obey. So you got involved with the men's group in your local church. But let's get to a point where we talk about how you actually address and overcome post-traumatic stress disorder because you'd consider now that that's all behind you. How does that journey happen? And what point are you able to identify that you were able to be released from those those pressures and that stress of that disorder, it was it was a difficult journey. Um, you know, God God gives us all assignments, and He started then giving me assignments. One was to to um, was to pack march on Manly Beach to raise awareness of post traumatic stress disorder. I pack marched forty kilometres carrying forty kilo and full combat kit on dry soft sand. But you know, during that moment, I was facing my own demons and still going through the journey of healing through that. And uh, you know, even there, He showed up. And then the next was to um, was to 
pack march from Newcastle to Sydney, you know, the Sydney siege had triggered me. I thought it was to face face my fears because I, I then avoided Sydney. I avoided everything and um, out of fear of, with terrorism. And leading up to that walk, um, uh, I really felt God telling me that he, he wanted me to visit a mosque because I had a lot of hatred for Muslims and for Islam in general. And to be told he wanted me to go to the mosque, and not only just to go there, but to go there in uniform, completely frightened me. And I just thought, no way, I can't do this. But then my mind's going, you have to. He's your general, he's your king. You know, you, you do what you're told, you're a soldier. And I, you know, I shared this with my wife, and I had a lot of nightmares of being decapitated. That was what I was seeing. Now, I thought this would be a mosque in Newcastle, but no, it eventually ended up leading that I was to go to a mosque in Sydney, the largest mosque in Sydney called the Glickley Mosque. And, um, you know, when that came to head, my wife then rang Gallipoli Mosque and spoke with someone there, explaining to the, to the lady there about my circumstances. And... Um, and they were very interested. They were very interested in meeting me and said the imam would love to speak with him, being the leader of the mosque. So it was arranged. We'll get to that meeting with the imam in just a few moments. But is this, do you think, something that many returned service personnel experience? Because you've been there on the front line or close to the front line in whatever role that you have, because you are fighting against the enemy who were uh, people who were coming from Islamic faith, that there is a real hatred that sometimes is present in returned service people? I don't believe so. I think that there would be some of us, but I don't think it would be a majority. I think there would just be a minority of us. But this was your story. Yeah. So I think it was just where my head went because of what... I was seeing um, going on the news in Syria and heading towards the other direction. That swayed my mindset because I came home not with that mindset initially, but my mindset got changed with what I was seeing um, with the current activities and the way they were treating, um, you know, when I was capturing prisoners and stuff and the way they were treating them and then terrorising the world. Um, so, yeah, seeing ISIL and Daesh, yeah, that... I think that's what changed my mindset, seeing in the media, and that triggered the siege in Sydney, triggered me, and then to feel immense fear. So tell me about the encounter with the imam at the Gallipoli Mosque in Sydney. What happened on that day? Um, I was to be there for 7 o'clock at night to meet with the imam. I had um, two friends from my church come with me to support so, you know, the whole way down, they were praying for me and, you know, my anxiety levels went absolutely through the roof where I was nearly throwing up. And then to arrive there and see hundreds of Muslims, because it was in the middle of prayer time, um, really scared me. Um, but I still went in and um, someone came out and greeted me and they were full of smiles and, and said, welcome, you know, just welcomed me so much. I couldn't believe it. And then directed me to a conference room and just said, the imam will be with you in a minute. He's just in the middle of prayer. You won't be, won't be long. But then the imam came in and um, he gave me this big hug and big smiles. And it, it really threw me off. I wasn't expecting that. And then we sat down at the table and I was directly opposite him. And he never took his eyes off me. He looked at me the whole time. And I shared my journey with him about 
what I'd been through in um in in the Middle East and what I had been through when I returned home and that I was a Christian. But I was telling him, I then looked at him and said how much I hate Muslims and how much I hated Islam and then said to him how much that was tearing me apart because I'm a Christian and it's not of Jesus to be like that and it's just ripping me apart and looked him in the eyes and said, are you able to forgive me? I can't keep going like this. This is wrong because I've tarnished you with the same brush as those people that are, are destroying you know the world and um you know i didn't want to mention their names out of out of respect and um yeah he he looked at me with a big smile and just said i hugged you when you came in didn't i i said yeah you did he says it's not hard to forgive you with what you've been through he says it's taken you a lot of courage to come down here and face and do what you're doing right now and you know to speak with us and um you've been through a lot and then we just began to talk um in general, just about God, you know, and before you knew it, you got three Christians and two Muslims just glorifying God in that room. And then from there, he uh, he invited me into the mosque, which was now empty, and said, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but I'd really love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for healing. So away we went. And um, and, and he did. He, he uh, prayed for me, and then um, one of the friends that came with me said, it's all right if we pray for you, and he said, Absolutely. And away, away we went. We prayed for them as well. And he, when we stopped, he goes, "Look at this. This is amazing." I said, "What?" He goes, three Christians, two Muslims, praying for each other right under the dome." He says, "This has never happened before in here. This is what we're about: unity, loving on each other." So, um, that was the first time in eight years that I had never felt any anxiety. It just literally disappeared, lifted off me. And um, I felt it lift off me. And since that day, I've had no nightmares. I've had no anxiety issues, no fears of shots, um, no looking over my shoulder, literally just walking free, walking light. Andrew, do you think it was a issue of forgiveness on that day while you were asking them to forgive you? And it wasn't them that were on the front lines and doing those atrocities. Uh, these are ordinary Australians in one sense, although Muslim. But there is a sense in which your forgiveness obviously flowed out of your heart uh, towards them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I've uh, spoken about this to people, I've let them know that it wasn't the mosque that healed me. Jesus sent me there to show me how he sees these people, that, yeah, they're lost, but they're made in the image of God. And they are my, you know, they are my people as well. And it was to take me there to show me that where I send you, you'll always be safe. And um, so it was, to, it was to show me the goal, to show me how he sees these people, that he loves them just as much as he loves us. And so, yeah, it's, as, I've, as I've spoken a lot, is um, the mosque didn't heal me. Jesus just took me there and healed, and he healed me there by, you know, through forgiveness. And you know. The other things that I'd done as well, um, that he'd worked through me over the, the past few years, um, it all came to that. I know that one of your favourite scriptures comes from Matthew eleven twenty eight. Uh, Jesus' invitation, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, <laughs> and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's a scripture that's very real to you, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when that 
after that day, the following day, I was out. You know, I I go out walking, I like hiking, and that's that's my time with God. And you know, the, the following day, I went out and and spent some you know some time with God and and really felt Him. Um, you know, telling me that it's over, it's finished. It's it's you know, I give you two gifts. I give you a new heart, soft as a marshmallow, so you can love, love on people as I do. And I give you a new mind, free of PTSD, but the memories will still be there for it's what makes you the soldier that you are, um, to enable you to fight for others that are struggling. And um, so, yeah, the following day, I, I got that word that, yeah, you're now free, it's, it's over, you're healed, it's done, it's finished. And Andrew, and, uh, this is this is your story, but do you believe that uh, that forgiveness could be a key for others who are returning and experiencing the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder? Do you think that forgiveness may be a key to healing for others as well? Absolutely, yeah. To be able to you know to forgive and let go of it all and give it to Him, um, that that is definitely the key, and to you know, to to have that faith in in that he's got it all in his in his in his hands, he's taken care of it. Um, absolutely, yeah. And you have good relationship with the Military Christian Fellowship. It's an organisation in the military that uh, promotes Christian faith and uh, brings some level of support to people like yourself. Absolutely, yeah. They were amazing through my journey prior to um, being healed. You know, they were right there. You know, I. I We'd get together um, on a Wednesday, and and they'd be right there praying for me and and um, giving me words, and you know the support was amazing. Um, it's I'd encourage anyone in the defence to to jump on and you know get to know Jesus, and um, if they don't already know him, but if they do, to, to get the support, go to MCF and and um, get together because it's it did a lot for me. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for taking some time to share your story with us. It's an amazing story. It's one of an encounter with Jesus. It's one of forgiveness and confronting your fears and those ones who are perceived to be an enemy, and you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. You've also been able to forgive those that you felt had uh, been responsible for atrocities uh, in the Middle East. And look, I want to thank you so much for sharing your heart with us and uh, your journey with Jesus. And I'm sure there's a long way to go yet, and lots of people will want you to tell the the story over and again. And uh, I just appreciate that you've experienced something of the healing that comes uh, from your relationship with Jesus and his forgiveness for you and for others. Uh, Corporal Andrew Summers, great talking to you. Thanks for being with us on 2020. Thanks very much, Neil, for having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.